0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem.
1: For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org so good evening everyone. Thank you for good evening. Good evening. thank you for breaking the cold and uh, the security and you know, all the kings and princes that have come to visit this uh, fair city. Uh, let us begin in a word of prayer <clears throat>
2: Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can be gathered here tonight to learn more about your word, about your work is in, uh in our lives and in the world. Lord, we thank you that uh, there are indeed uh, kings and princes and dignitaries uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, we thank you that we know the King of heaven and that uh, we can study your word uh, tonight. So Lord, give okay. us open minds. We pray your blessing. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will indwell us and that you will lighten our uh, hearts and our senses within us. And we pray this in your name, Yeshua, our
1: Saviour. Amen. 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 All right, we are wrestling, or beginning to wrestle with, the text known as the Book of Deuteronomy. So uh, here is a summary from last week. We started by asking the question, How many books are there in the Torah? And the answer was, right, there are four books. The fifth one being a commentary on the previous four. Deuteronomy is quoted to or alluded to over 100 times in the New Testament, reflecting its popularity during the Second Temple Period. You find in Second Temple Period literature, all the other texts that are in other people's Bibles, they if they're going to quote from the Hebrew Bible, it's most likely going to be from Deuteronomy. Okay? Or the Psalms. So they, they were the popular texts floating around at the time of Jesus. And Isaiah, and Isaiah yes. Definitely. Isaiah. Moses. Moses. Moses is the traditional author of the book of Deu- on Deuteronomy, with an unknown author and redactor adding the account of the death of Moses and presumably other sections of the Torah, that is, parts of the Torah that look that have a, an obvious editor-changing uh, names, like uh, Dan. Okay, um, Abraham goes from Dan to Beersheba. Can't possibly have done that because Dan hadn't been born yet. So he went somewhere, okay, and then whatever that name had been forgotten, and later on, the redactor, the editor, presumably the same guy who's also tacking on Moses's death, is just... Updating the scrolls, okay? That doesn't mean they're not true. It just means there's an editor. That's all. Jewish tradition says that the redactor of the Torah is Joshua. Obviously, why? He succeeded Moses. So they, they give him okay the task of this. It doesn't say that that's who it is, but that is the tradition. Okay? The book is known as Sefer Devarim in Hebrew, the Book of Words. In Greek, it is called Deuteronomy, the Second Law, Deuteronomos. Following a mistranslation in the Septuagint okay, of the word words Mishnah Torah or the repeating of the Torah in chapter 17, the book appears to be the longest monologue in the entire Bible, presented by Moses, who at the start of his career complains to God that he can't speak. So somewhere along the line, Moses has become quite erudite indeed. Moses was born in Egypt, educated and raised as a prince of Egypt. Now the ancient Egyptians had a fascination with death. They constructed mighty monuments to the dead pharaohs, embalmed themselves, created frescoes on the afterlife and the underworld, turning death into a cult and even a form of worship. Yet Moses' own death, and he dies at the end of the monologue, was anti-Egyptian in every form. There is no great pyramid. There is no mummification. There are no dynasties of his or frescoes. God is a God of life, and in him there is no death. Moses' parting speech is what preserves him, and not the kings of Egypt. It is Moses that is still remembered. Who is Moses talking to? Well, obviously, to Israelites, yes? Specifically to the descendants of the Israelites who departed from Egypt. Although there are those but still from the age of 20 who would have seen the, uh, the miracle. They would be about 60 by now. Accompanying them are the Egyptians who joined as the multitude during the Exodus. The community before him has journeyed as nomads. They have seen miracles. Their clothes have not worn out. They have been nourished daily by heavenly manna and seen the miracle of the Sabbath. Both Jews and Gentiles have been guided by a pillar of fire and cloud. They are no strangers to the divine. They have had the Torah since Sinai and have had Aaron and sons to act as priests in the tabernacle. And yet, when they cross the Jordan and camp on the plains of Jericho, they circumcise themselves. Joshua chapter 5. Truly, not the best of battle plans, that when besieging an enemy city, you first incapacitate yourself. And we talked about that, like basically Jericho probably got really scared, yes? No game? Obviously, then, the community assembled before Moses is uncircumcised, thus actually annulling much of the Torah. Example, uncircumcised people cannot celebrate Passover. Which means, what did the children of Israel not do in the desert? Very interesting that they have a tabernacle, they have the Torah, they have priests, and yet they are not circumcising or celebrating various things. What are the priests teaching them? Which begs the question, what exactly have the priests been teaching the people? Perhaps this is the impetus for Moses to retell the Torah in Sefer Devarim. Maybe Mount Sinai is often referred to as Horeb in Deuteronomy. There is no convincing explanation for the two names. Okay, either it's Mount Sinai or Horeb. We don't know the reason why. Though many commentators have attempted.
3: But there is no, or there is
1: convincing. There is no. I I, I missed out the no. Oh, I just say, okay. Yes, I'm gonna change that before I put I'm it on the internet. No. The root word of Horeb in Hebrew, Harav, refers to ruin, destruction, and or sword, which is an interesting name for a mountain that God would choose to descend from heaven and present his Torah on, yes? The New Testament does not use the name Horeb. Sefer Devarim reintroduces the concept of divine, sanctioned invasion and the idea of a just war. These are not concepts advocated strongly in our current culture. We have to be careful when taking present-day morality and superimposing onto the past. We also should not ignore the land boundaries that are present in the Bible. We can have a discussion about them, but we should not ignore them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. They are there in the text, so you talk. Here we have uh, uh, a speech, go in and take the land and kill people and take all their stuff which might not seem like a nice thing to do at the same time you have these listings of all these borders so they're there, it's in the text so you should not ignore it you should also be prepared to talk about it alright so that's where we are we are standing on the plains of Moab about to invade Uh, And away Moses goes with the rest of his speech. So we will read the rest of chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Okay? And in our tradition, let's just go around the table. Doesn't matter what language or version of Bible you're reading, God knows them all. Now at that time, I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today
2: as numerous as the stars of heaven. May Adonai, God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times as many as you are, and may he bless you just
3: as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Take your wise men and understanding and known according to your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered him, "The thing that you have spoken is good for us to do." So
0: I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, <clears throat> commanders of hundreds, commanders, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged the judges at
4: that time. Hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly, whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and
3: a foreigner residing among you. And you shall not be partial in judgment, you shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's, and in the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it and I commanded you, at that time,
2: all the things which you should do. Then we set out from Horeb, and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw, on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea.
3: Then I said to you,
2: you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving
1: us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid, not be discouraged. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word
2: again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The idea seemed good to me, so I took twelve men from among you,
3: one man for each tribe. Uh, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came unto the valley of Ishcol and spied it out. And they took in their
4: hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is good land that the Lord our God is giving us.
3: Yet you would not go up, but rebelled be against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us.
0: Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there.
4: And I said to you, Do not be terrified.
3: Do not be afraid of them. But, and the Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your
2: God carried you, you, as man carried his Son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. He went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go
1: when the lord heard what you said he was angry and solemnly swore
2: not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that i swore to give to your fathers except caleb the son of Jephunneh. he will see it yet to him and his children i will give the land that he has walked on because he has followed Adonai wholeheartedly.
3: Also Adonai was angry with me for your sake, saying, "Thou also shall not go in either. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it.
0: But as you turn and journey into the wilderness, in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war, and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me,
4: tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you.
3: You will be defeated by your enemies. Uh, so I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain
2: came up against you and chased you as we do and drove you back from Shear to Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give hear to it. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there.
1: All right. Okay, so on our first initial reading survey, anything there that jumps out at you? Something that you hadn't noticed before? Anything there of obvious difference from... What you've read in the rest of the Torah—it's not always easy to see—but we'll, we'll have a little. We'll go at it. We, Moses had very good memory. Very good. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. He was talking so long, everything he was remembered, <laughs> and of course, it was more details than was before. And also, and also, some some less details. There's, there's things he's deliberately missing out and you go, hmm, I wonder why he's doing that we'll have a little look as we go along we'll say, what are you saying Moses and what are you not saying and why are you not saying it because remember, in, in, in Jewish exegetical tradition what's not said is just as important as what is said sometimes it's what you don't say to someone that actually gives you the learning okay? Okay? as opposed to saying everything and leaving nothing to the imagination. Mm-hmm. Alright, so, in uh, verse 9, at the start of our little reading, okay, Moses is standing before these people. And he says something, he says, You are too heavy a burden for me to carry by myself. Okay, there's, uh, what, what's he referring to there? Any idea? Okay,
2: grumbling it's possible. Too
1: many of them.
0: He's talking about the administration of justice.
1: Yeah. Because uh, everybody been bringing him all of their burdens and, and he would be judging everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, what's the event where Moses decides mm-hmm. to appoint judges? He has
4: to be put to death. He wanted God to put him to death. He said, I didn't ask for this and I want to die. And,
1: yeah. He he, he complains a few times about that. (laughs) And it's
3: his father-in-law. This is right.
2: Yeah,
1: his father-in-law shows up. You know, and uh, yeah, in Exodus uh, eighteen. Anyone Mm -hmm. remember his name? Jethro. Jethro. Okay, and who was he?
2: Midianite.
1: Midian. Okay, father-in-law's a Midianite. Uh, His wife is therefore a foreigner. A foreigner. Okay, which is one of the big issues between. uh, Miriam and uh, Aaron they complain to Moses about his foreign wife which leads uh, to Miriam getting leprosy yes. okay. mm-hmm. and starting up the whole tradition of uh, in Hebrew called Lashon Hara which is the uh, uh, evil tongue the evil tongue is not a lie that's called the uh, Sheker or the liar is called a Shakram the evil tongue is actually where you tell the truth about people and it hurts Sometimes, you know, it says the truth sets you free, so we want to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But sometimes, you shouldn't. Like, Moses and Aaron complained to Moses that his wife was a foreigner, which is true. But there was no point to say it like that, because there was no way Moses could defend himself. He couldn't say, no, wait, my wife's Jewish, just like everybody else. <laughs> See? <laughs> I don't know who this guy is, okay? <laughs> he says he's my father-in-law, I don't know. Okay, um, it's, And so the, sometimes the hardest thing to tell somebody is when it's the truth and the truth hurts. And there was no way that they could defend themselves.
3: And it's a big deal in Judaism because your uh, religion is passed on by the mother, not by the father.
1: In the, the, in, yes. In, in Judaism. In the current Judaism. are yes. no, not, yes, not in the biblical narrative. Oh, but really? Yes. really? No, it's always patriarchal here. Okay. Modern-day Judaism is, yeah. is matrimonial, yeah. Yeah, which has been a, a change. Uh, there are reasons why they changed. I'm not 100% sure I would agree with them, but there were reasons. Mm. Okay, so, he's going to say, uh, it's a bit of a burden, I can't do this all by myself. So, and why has this become a burden? And he gives the explanation in verse 10. The Lord, your God, okay, the Lord, your God, that phrase is going to occur nearly 300 times in, the, in Deuteronomy. Uh, Elohecha, Adonai Elohecha, is going to occur nearly 300 times. So it's a, it's a very, Moses is going to say it constantly to people, the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God. Don't forget who your God is, the Lord, right? And, uh,
2: so even at 300
1: they didn't get it. So incredible. Needed to do
2: 300
1: more Maybe you needed to. Yeah, one extra. If we had an extra chapter, they might have got that. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lord your God has increased your numbers. So how did He do that? By providing for them. Okay. How would, how would God provide for His they people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure that they don't die. <laughs> but apart from that, okay, how do normal numbers of humans increase?
2: Birth, kids.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, a man and a woman have a special cuddle and later on out comes a baby. Okay, this is normally the way populations increase. Isn't it interesting that the impetus for this is given to who? God. Moses doesn't say, I'm really struggling with your numbers. Ease up in the tents, guys, okay? (laughs) He doesn't say that. What he says is, the Lord your God has been increasing you. This is actually seen as something very positive. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, the, the, the high birth rate is a positive thing. The high birth rate is coming from Him. If you're not having a high birth rate, what's your issue? Okay, so remember let's not look at present day morality and superimpose it on the past text talks okay so today here you are you're as many as the stars of heaven any idea where that sort of phrase came from right yep well done yep it's this blessing that god gives abraham where he says look up in the stars so yeah. shall your descendants. So, so your descendants—they're going to be as fruitful as the sand on the seashore. All these, all these wonderful um, idioms and metaphors and things—wonderful. And then Moses takes that and says, "Look, it happened. You're, you're, there's, there's a lot of you now." And then in verse eleven, the blessing continues: "May the Lord your God of your fathers increase you." Oh, how many more times? <laughs> Yeah, may he double your numbers, maybe thousand times more, and bless you as he has promised. Okay. So, uh, where do you get this idea of the command to multiply?
4: Noah.
1: Yeah, Noah. It's <laughs> actually given to a gentile, right? Go forth and multiply. Go forth and fill, fill the earth. So, how does? Genesis. Genesis Correct, Genesis nine. Yeah.
0: No, in the Garden of
1: Eden. Oh, yes, and it's also in the Garden of Eden. Yes, so again, you've got it just a couple of times at this stage all with uh, Gentiles. Okay, and uh, now we have it to some Jewish people. Um, how do you increase in numbers? Now, what I'm going to say could be very controversial, and I hope that it is so we can get some discussion. I'm going to play devil's advocate. How do you increase in numbers? Yeah.
0: Win wars. Yeah. <laughs> With what? Yeah. With wars. I mean, what? not have not have too many wars
1: that. Uh... Don't don't have too many wars, so your population doesn't decrease by casualties. What else? What's actually the biggest killer on the planet? Plates. Yes, it's a plague. Mm-hmm. Right, fifty-five million people died in World War Two. What happened a, a year later?
0: You talking about World War I? Oh, World War I. Yeah, Spanish flu. Even, even more died. In even this. more. Yeah. It's
1: unbelievable. Right? And it was uh, how many people in the bubonic plague wiped out like a third of the planet. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Once you get into a, a bacteria that is so much more powerful than us. Right? They just, we think we're good at killing, we have no concept. Uh, but uh, so, war, plague, what are some of the other things that uh, decrease your population? Starvation, gotta get, get some food in there. And food is tied to what? Very precious resource. Rain. Water. rain water. Yes. right? right? And so uh, later on in Deuteronomy chapter 11, the rainfall is going to be linked to your morality. In Deuteronomy 11, God is going to say, "If you're good, I'll give you rain. If you're bad, you're not going to get it. So that's, that's going to uh, affect your uh, family size. How do you increase your family size?
3: Marrying having lots
1: of kids.: Marrying having lots of kids.
3: And
1: not divorcing. Okay, sure. What about reproductive rights? Do the women have any say in this? Ladies, God has come down and said, have lots of kids.
0: Multiple.
1: Has anyone stood up and go, hey, don't, don't tell me what to do. I, you don't, I, if I, having babies is really hard work you try it. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a command sorry Fill the earth
3: and subdue so it is a command correct there is no it's
1: law. right no, but here we are in the modern world and what actually do you see occurring in the world
3: abortion
1: negative birth rates mm-hmm. but the actual fertility rate to for a nation to just hold average, is 2.1 live births per woman. Okay, so each woman needs to have 2.1 kids. How you do the point one? I'm not sure, but give it a go. Well, you've
0: got a, um, it for a small degree of child mortality, but because not every, race, every woman gets married, Correct. it's actually 2.3 per family.
1: Right. Yes, I've seen that statistic. Yeah, but the the UN, if you go to the UN website, is 2.1. Okay, so the top three nations on the planet, those are the largest nation on the planet. First nation largest is which one? China. China. What's their pop- fertility rate? 1.3. Okay, so they are racing towards a real problem. Okay. Second largest, uh, uh, India. Their birth rate is now 2.1. It has dropped to 2.1. They are now breaking even. The next biggest, third biggest country in the world population is Brazil at one point eight. So actually, when you go around the Europe's a disaster, okay, with just about everybody there at one point two to one point four. I think Britain's at one point six. Okay. Um None of the Muslim
3: countries
1: have a higher birth rate? Yep, wait, 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 wait. So the two the areas that are still increasing, they still have Higher than average birth rates, more than Mm 2.1. Some parts of Africa and parts of the Islamic world. However, even in those countries, the birth rate is dropping. Mm -hmm. So last generation, for example, Kenya had a a birth rate of something like 7.4. This generation, it is 3.6. So in one generation, the birth rate is higher. So while, yes, Africa is currently producing more children, the, the going forward, if nothing changes, next generation, it will be over. So the current projection is that the world's population will reach 9 billion and then drop, at which point it will never recover. That is, we are on the cusp Something. It, it, <laughs> but it is interesting. Okay. So so with the economists like places like Japan, places like Korea where their, their birth rate is almost below one. Okay. They're losing a million people a year. Okay. that is a is a huge number of people. Is that the the, the economy can't handle it, meaning the number of young people actually spending money is not there.
3: Or paying into pensions.
1: Or paying into pensions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in Poland last year, they closed nearly a thousand schools. Mm-hmm. Why did they close a thousand schools? No students. kids. No <laughs> students. Yeah, so all these teachers suddenly got no jobs. Wow. Right? All that infrastructure that goes along with having schools is not there. And so you think you're, we're, we're, the, the command of the Lord is go forth and multiply. Mm -hmm. Our response in our current culture is, don't tell me what to do. It's hard. It's hard. Our present-day culture is, we have reproductive rights, you don't tell women what to do, they're just as intelligent as we are. They are. 40% of all uh, university entrants in Kenya are now women. Which means woman. if you have an educated woman, what tends to happen? Correct. Strong, so. Yes. So, and they know. These countries know. And they're already writing reports saying, what can we do to increase our birth rates? And there's nothing. There's nothing. You throw money at it, and nothing actually <coughs> works. Um, so here you have a command by God to Israel. Most of those people who will be bearing the burden of all of this are going to be the the ones who are actually going to have babies and in the ancient world that was actually a dangerous affair okay this is a it was not like today back then you're looking at you know 20% mortality rate okay if something goes wrong woman dies right so it's a it's a tough thing what happened to Rachel?
3: Benjamin Benjamin, yeah (laughs) right
1: it's a it was it's it's rough stuff Okay? And, uh, and yet, here you have this speech where God says, Now, go forth and multiply. Go do what you're supposed to do. God's already doing it. May God do it to you again. But it's not that God miraculously makes women pregnant. Okay? Something else has to happen. All right. So, verse 12. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Well, obviously, it's rhetorical. I cannot. <coughs> choose, some wise, uh, understand, choose some wise understanding respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. You answered me. What you propose to do is good. Okay. Um, who did he not mention? Jethro. Yeah. He makes no mention of actually I got this idea from my father-in-law. Mm. There's no mention of this. Why do you think not?
0: I think maybe he probably wasn't with him by that
1: stage. Yeah. I think he's probably going not have to you. Right. So Jethro's not there. But uh, this is not the that correct retelling of how that happened. So in Exodus, right, uh, where are we? Um, Moses' father-in-law, this is Exodus 18, 17. So um, in, if at the beginning of Exodus 18, it says that Jethro, the priest of Midian, father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything that God had done for Moses and his people and how the Lord had brought him out of Egypt. So word spreads. And so he shows up. Then he notices that uh, Moses is doing all the hard yakka and uh, doing all the judging. Mm-hmm. And then the father-in-law says, um, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you, only wear them yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Okay? Does that sound like something Moses just said? Yeah, he's, he's taking the words of his father-in-law. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. Which God? (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully the one that... Yeah, hopefully not the the Midianite one. Uh, You must be the people's representative before God, and you must bring their disputes to Him, teach them the decrees and the laws, show them the way to live, and the duties they are to perform. Well, that would be good. Somehow missed the whole idea of circumcision there. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God... Uh, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as the judges for the people at all times and have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Sounds great, doesn't it?
4: Yes.
1: Okay, so, all right. Um, all right. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Okay. And then Jethro goes home. Um, why do you think Moses decides to skip with the whole uh, priest of Midian
0: thing? Maybe he, he was ashamed that he didn't get himself.
1: I don't know.
3: There's no indication that the people knew where that came from in the first place.
1: That's maybe. I
3: mean, it could have been a conversation between him and his father in law, number one, number two. Yeah, it could
1: have been done privately in his tent. No one has a clue. And yeah. Moses is
3: reporting Wouldn't it be a little harder for the people to accept coming from a non Jew? Yeah. Street cred. Could be. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Remember, remember, we've got four other books. Mm mm-hmm. It's not like Exodus 18 isn't there. Obviously, the community is not reading it. Yes. All right. I mean, um, they're not doing what's in the Torah. Obviously. Yes. Right. And uh, so we're we're having this impetus to do the retelling. When it's time for the retelling, we decide to skip some bits. So.
2: Okay.
1: So yes, the most of the community may not know who. Who, uh, who Jethro is, or conveniently forgotten, or (laughs) Mm -hmm. Moses is that, No, shh, be quiet about that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's an Egyptian. He's not. He's actually one of us. Yeah. We go
3: contrary to Jewish belief that Moses was like the humblest of them all. Right? If you were to exclude that because he's boasting that he did it.
1: Right. There is, there is this little bit where it kind of looks like, you know, I, I chose this. Thing. Hang on a second. Because you actually have another parallel story of how you choose leaders. And it's got nothing to do with Jethro either. And it's actually in Numbers.
4: Okay.
1: Numbers 11. Okay. So in Numbers 11... Uh, you get the uh, fire from the Lord, and which is consuming the the camp. You get the quail. Verse sixteen is it? In verse sixteen. Yes. Then the Lord said to Moses. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come into the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and I will speak with you there. And I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. And they will help you carry the burden of the people. So that you don't have to carry it alone. So what does numbers suggest?
3: Seven.
1: Suggested it's God's idea. So you have in Deuteronomy, Moses saying, I did it. In Numbers, it's the Lord did it. And in Exodus, it's Jethro did it. So you've got some interesting little accounts of how you choose your leaders. So we don't know the reason why Moses is saying it this way. It could be that at this stage of the game, Going into Midian, into into the land of Canaan, the uh, the concept of aliens and non non-Israelites and foreigners was a bit of a rub. So it would be best if we just don't mention the non-Israelites at this mm. stage. Although the point of having a judge was to just dis- dis- uh, settle disputes between Israelites and aliens and the strangers whom they knew were part of their community. Because they're all standing there together. So it's not like they're missing each other at the time. I have no idea why Moses does it this way. Commentaries don't uh, offer very very good. Some commentaries that I uh, looked at um, said this is a retelling of Numbers 11 and other commentaries said, "This is a retelling of Exodus 18. Uh, each one said there was a difference. none of them postulated good good reasons why. It's just one of those things in the text, guys. It's there. No need don't try and ignore it. Just remember to wrestle with it. And, uh,
3: why would you even wrestle with that?
1: Because some because the skeptics will come across because this is one of the things that uh, for those of us. Uh, who... Saying the rest of it is uh, false? Correct. They'll, say, they'll go along and they'll say, if this bit's untrue, therefore every bit is untrue. I say, now, that's...
3: I say wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that... Let them
2: go their way. Yeah,
1: That argument is obviously a fundamentally flawed argument, but it is one of the arguments. You that... say, let us
2: not waste our time with that, shake your sandals, and, and I'll go talk you know... to somebody else.
1: Sure. Yeah,
2: I think that's a way of... Letting people head on down their
1: own path. Right, so that's the skeptic. Now, take it to the household of the believer, who when they come to a contradiction in the Bible, shakes their faith.
3: Is it, this isn't a contradiction though, I mean. It's, it's not. I mean, you know, Numbers 11 is actually a different context. Those right. 70 men were prophets. Right. It's actually more than 70, it turned to be 72. Yeah, and it's the witnesses and prophets. Whereas these, with Jeth- the Jethro's case, they, they were judges. Right, I mean, they're, they're really two different things. And if, if if Moses does not, I mean, he's providing a summary account. If he doesn't Correct. provide a summary account, then he might as well just say, "Here's the other four books again."
1: Well, he's not doing that. He's doing right. what's, he's doing a Be'er. He's doing in that when he says it says he expounded the Torah in verses one to eight. The, the phrase is Be'er, He's digging deep. And so the, the the things that he doesn't say, and there's reasons why he doesn't say it that way, is he's like, you know... And so whether he's doing the Genesis one or, or the Exodus one or whether he's doing the Numbers one, is... Uh, is, is, uh, is I mean, it seems to be
0: more the um, the Exodus one because of the captains of, you know, the leaders of... Right. of thousands of cents, which is... But, but as you say in here, in, in the... Um, numbers, we've got the 70 or thirty-two, and the Spirit comes upon them, and they are, you know, you have the number of them, mm-hmm. and it, it looks like a different role, rather than just administration and oversight, and, yep. you know, and a hierarchy of sorting problems out, these, these guys would have, you know, were promised the Spirit. Good, yep. the spirit. And in, in
1: Numbers, he, he lists exactly which leaders from exactly which tribes, and he names them and everything, and then those guys hang out with him and uh, because where do they end up going up to to talk they go to talk with god yeah. although they do so in exodus right? so um sometimes the chronology seems a little different so in 15 it says so i took the leading men of your tribes wise and respected men and appointed them to have authority over you which seems to be actually the numbers time. Even though I agree with Neville that I think it's the Exodus time. Okay, to command the thousands, hundreds, and fifties. So he's, using, he's actually blending both together in a, in a time period. I charged your judges this time, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, uh, whether the case is between other Israelites or between one of them and an alien, because they knew that there were aliens present. Do not show partiality in judging, hear small and greater lack. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. God right. Uh, bring me any case too hard for you, and I'll hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you were to do. Now, it would be really nice if our judges and law courts actually followed this um, mm. advice. But unfortunately, I think we all know that's not always the case.
2: Is he saying in one point that he wants to delegate? But at the very end of that, he's saying, "Bring it to me." Well, only the he's hard cases. It back. Yeah,
1: yeah, the hard, the hard, the hard cases. Uh-huh. And it was often the prerogative of the king to decide the hard cases. Uh, what's the big? What's the famous hard case you have in with a king of Israel? So- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for those. Who are um, I don't know the American system, but perhaps you could tell me in the in the in the British system what's our highest court of appeal?
0: That's a law, law courts.
1: And there's even one higher.
0: Bailey. <coughs> Queen, <coughs> Privy or Council.
1: The Queen. Yeah. You, as a British subject, you actually can appeal to the Queen. It'll cost you lots of money, and you most likely probably won't get through there. But uh, technically, according to the rules, you can. does okay? This is the American have a system. Can you get What's the highest court you can get to? So you
3: have the Supreme Court, then you have state jurisdictional courts and the lower courts, and any anything that's not satisfied or disputed, at the lower court goes up. Goes up. Court. So yep. it, it's very similar. similar
1: very similar. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, you, you end up you, getting somewhere to the top to the top point.
3: We never
2: needed it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should say that.
1: <laughs> All right. So now now we've uh, told told women we need to have lots of kids. And uh, we've appointed some leaders over our thing and ignored the father-in-law and his direction. Okay? Then, time to send some spies out in the retelling of the spy uh, situation. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb, okay, that mountain again, not, not known as Mount Sinai, and went toward the hill country of the Amorites, through all the vast and dreadful desert that you have seen and we reached Kadesh Banea. So who are the Amorites? I hear you ask. Yeah. Any idea?
0: Well Canaanites
1: The um the the ancient world, and here I'm talking about the ones that have like that spoke Arcadian and things like that, actually also <coughs> talked about the Amorim, the Amurru. And uh, they were uh, linked to the descendants of giants. In mm-hmm. fact, their king, according to the Jewish tradition, was Og, who was also one of the descendants of giants. And um, the and if Og is one of the descendants of the giants, when did the giants occur in the in the Bible?
2: Genesis.
1: Genesis. Okay. And what did God do to them? Well, everybody dies underwater. Okay. Yep. So, and uh, if you've got a a trace history memory of everybody dying underwater, where do you go to to survive? You go to the hills. And oddly enough, that's where they lived. All over the Middle East, they didn't settle. They were they were nomads. They didn't. They they lived in in the high places. They refused to come down uh, to. The low, low places that were settled by other peoples, and you see often. Let's go up and fight the Amorites. Let's take their hills. Let's go up uh, uh, because that's where they're 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 hiding. Um, and when we talk about Canaan, where do we get the name Canaan from?
0: Cain, I suppose. Cain,
1: Abel. He's the son of um. Ham. Okay. And uh, what does he end up doing? well Ham sees his father naked Canaan is cursed so if you actually have a look at Genesis it's not Ham that's cursed so
2: which God
1: told to Israel to destroy? The they were all his descendants. Descendants? descendants. So, the uh, the okay. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Okay. For some reason, the text needs to tell you this. What
0: book is
1: it? This is uh, Genesis. <laughs> There were three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Uh, When he drank some of the wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, need to remember, say that again, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it across their shoulders and they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they could not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done, not named, he said, Cursed. Cursed be Canaan. Why curse Canaan? Why not say, Cursed be Ham! Like, Was it Ham's oldest? No. Shem, Ham and Yaphet, it doesn't say. The text says, Noah woke up and he knew what his youngest son had done. And so, in biblical Hebrew, when you have the youngest son, who actually could that be?
4: Grandson.
1: Could be grandsons. Mm-hmm. So, Ham couldn't control his family... Noah worked out which one had done something wrong and curses Canaan. So now that Canaan's cursed, remember, begin, uh, in Hebrew thought, beginnings and ends often occur in the same place. When we're going to settle the people of God, in which, which land will we settle them and make it all right? Land of? Canaan.
2: Hmm.
3: Wasn't it also in the Old Testament that if the Father did something wrong, that he could pass on the curse to the next generation? And then God changed it to you know, each... Person.
1: Right. Yep. There was the thought that, um, yes. that the sins of the father go on to the children. Yeah. Yeah. And then God said, Listen, no, you're one's going to die for their own sins. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's interesting that, that the, the text says it that way, that it constantly mentions, as soon as you mention Ham, straight away, he was the father of Canaan. He was the father of Canaan. We worked out who the youngest son was, and cursed be Canaan. And so this is the land that we're going to enter and have to conquer. Unfortunately, part of it is occupied by these Amorim, which are these nomads who journey from hilltop to hilltop to hilltop, trying to avoid uh, a repetition of the flood. Um, Just like when Nimrod builds the Tower of Babel, why do we build a tower up? What was the last time? When last time we rebelled against God, what did God do? Flood the world. What's the answer? Build up. Okay, get as high as we possibly can, just in case God does this again. we didn't, we get the end up getting the dispersal of the of the languages. Uh, so here um, we're we we're, we're going to go towards the hill country of the Amorite, the Amorim, and uh, we reach this place called Kadesh Barnea. Uh, anyone know where that is? is currently, it, currently. <laughs> yes. Where is it? Where is it currently?
2: there so why don't we
1: yeah, there is a winery there, yeah. Is it the Negev? It's the Negev, yeah. yes. Yep. It's just outside the territory of Judah, biblical Judah. Right? It, um, and, uh, and somehow that's where the Amorim were living, or part, or part of their group, because often when you wipe one group out, there's still other bits around and they sort of come back. Also like the Canaanites, there's lots of different kings, so says so you go defeat the Canaanites, and then two chapters later the Canaanites are back. Oh, it's just a different group. Verse 20. Then I told you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving you, okay, or giving us. Which is one of, you know, that, that whole theological issue of uh, what is a divine invasion, what is a just war. Can we have those things? Can we not? Uh, those are the issues we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Because there will be parts of our community that are very pacifist. Are there not? Yes. And there are other parts of our community that are not. Uh, And yet we're both reading the same texts. So, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord your God of your fathers told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns that we will come to. The idea seemed good to me so I selected twelve of you, one man from each tribe. And they left and they went up into the hill country and they came to the valley of Eshkol and uh, it's grapefruit in Hebrew and they explored it and then uh, taking with them some of the fruit of the land they brought it to us and reported it is a good land. ...that the Lord our God is giving us. Okay, so this is uh, the parallel passage is in Numbers 13. So in Numbers 13, it starts... The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan... ...which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe... ...and send uh, one of its leaders... So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and these are their names. What's the difference there?
3: He says
2: Right.
1: Correct. Why do you think Moses is making the impetus here on the people? So in the Numbers passage, Lord says, send out some spies. Now, why would God... Send out some spies. He already knows what's there.
0: To test them. Okay. Okay. Trying to test them.
1: Yeah.
0: He wanted them to see it for themselves.
1: Could be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure, but yeah. He's
3: just sure. a forgetful man.
1: <laughs> yeah. It what do you think? Seems
3: like
4: this, the, they wanted to go and God. Was Giving them permission, the permissive will of God. It wasn't, you know, because He'd already told them what the land was like. He'd already done.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a good land. Yeah, it's got the following things in it. They were
4: showing a lack of faith, and it was kind of His permissive will. He sometimes lets us do things that we don't, you know, uh, let us learn the hard way, basically. Yeah,
1: Uh, it is interesting that this community has had this pillar of fire and this cloud by night and a guide. And and we've had to have a few fights before. We've had to beat up uh, Amalek, and we've had to beat up uh, Og and Sichon, and had to thrash a few people. So we we know what it is to to win a war, because we've done it. Uh, And yet there is this still, this temptation or or a part of us that doubts no no matter how much we believe. And that, that famous line that you find in the New Testament, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. Right? I believe. But the, this, the, that, that task that I see today in front of me, it just seems too, too tough for me.
2: Yeah.
1: All of us, I'm sure, around this table, could have, tell us incredible stories of the things God has done in our lives. Yeah. Yes? I'm sure all of us. And they would be encouraging to us we would be able to listen to them and go, wow, that's a really good story. Oh, incredible what God did for you guys. And yet, just because we know God has done stuff in the past, mm-hmm. somehow when we get to the future, it's just uncertain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing you can't see somehow scares us. Hop into a room with the light on, no problem. Turn the light off. What has physically changed in the room?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing. But... It really feels different, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Suddenly, maybe someone magically appeared in the room and is now standing behind me and is about to stab me in the back, only because it got dark. He wasn't gonna do it while the light was on.
3: But that's where God wants you to move by faith and not by sight. And that's the only way you can please God is by having faith.
4: Well, Abraham too is a good example. He was well known for his faith and yet he faltered a couple of different times you know said oh she's my sister and I mean he yep. was a great man of faith yep. yet he's not showing faith uh,
1: yeah and so. remember in the book of Acts when Stephen gives his big speech mm-hmm. and he talks about all the heroes of God he talks, or talks about their heroes and their faults and he actually starts with Abraham he says remember Abraham was told to go leave his father's house and then he didn't you <laughs> know right? he had to wait till dad died before he actually keeps going Right? Leave your father's house and go to the land I promise you. Can I wait till dad dies? I didn't say that. But I'm going to anyway.
3: They went from war to what was the name?
1: Haran. Haran. And then they stopped. And then they stopped. And then he continues only on again once dad dies. And you go, hmm. Yeah. But, and and so Stephen uses that as to say, look, Abraham, and when he started his career, wasn't going so well, but he got better. Right? Yeah, We had to work this stuff out. And pointing towards these uh, leaders of the temple that have done exactly the same thing. Um, Yep, perhaps, perhaps there's 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 got to be a reason why Moses is now directing this at the the people of Israel. Okay, because we all know from Numbers the Lord did it, but here it's like, hey, you you told me, and I thought it was a great idea. I
4: think it's interesting too that um, you know you this point that you're bringing up having faith and yet faltering in faith. Abraham faltered in his faith. Moses faltered, you know. I mean, his greatest strength was his humility, and yet he showed arrogance and pride sometimes. Yeah. the strongest suits of people sometimes, they failed in some of their strongest, you know, uh, characteristics. Yeah. David was a man of integrity.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, playing devil's advocate here now. Because I don't know some of the reasons why, but I'm going to hazard a guess. Because I think Moses is quite intelligent. And I think he knows the people that he's talking to very well. And he knows the mistakes that we can all get into. If we had a text, and the only thing the text ever said, the Lord told you to do this, so you did it. The Lord told you to do that, you did it. What would we what sort of people would we be? We would only do something if the Lord told us, except doesn't that happen? It does not happen every day, does it?: Yes, Here it does. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> that's actually true. Yes. <laughs> the Lord told me to wear blue socks today. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> okay. But here, you know, there there is a decisions come from you too, not just from God. You there there is that there's a on one hand, yes, the Lord is in complete control. On the other hand, you have to make a decision too. Okay, at the at the same time. So perhaps there's this little bit as in his little speech where he's reminding people, you know, you had some good ideas, you also had some bad ideas. Look what happened. when We had a good idea. Look what happened. when You had a bad idea. When it comes time for him to explain that I messed up and I'm getting put into the into the into the Promised Land, he does not talk about himself. He says, "You made me do it." Right? That's that's what he says in Deuteronomy in this speech in this chapter we just read. He doesn't say, "I got really angry and I struck the rock and woe is me because now I can't get into the Holy Land." He's actually going to say, uh, "Because of you, the Lord became angry with me." as opposed to (coughs) my fault.
0: I take that to mean that um, it's for their sake in that the Lord needed to show that he really takes obedience seriously. And if you're the top guy then just this one slip up is going to have a big impact. So, I mean, he he overlooks sins in all sorts of other situations but those who are entirely responsible he deals with them. So, So that they will not kind of play fast and loose with God's grace, he has to deal severely with Moses. Yes. So in, in, for the people's
1: sake in that sense. Yeah, and I have some other takes on that too, I agree with you. Uh, in, in that passage, the Lord says to Moses, because you did not honor me in the sight of the Israelites. So it's not that you got angry, it's like the people, were at the, in that incident, the people were complaining about water. Now they have a legitimate complaint, why? They're in the middle of a desert and there's no water. And, by the way, M- Mary just died. And uh, as soon as she dies, the very next sentence is, and there was no water. Now, what's that? Why, why would that be, in Hebrew, there's actually no dots. It just says, Mary died and there was no water. Because what's Mary's name in Hebrew? Mir Yam. From there is water. So the, the, the Jewish tradition is, She's the one that found the water. She was a prophet. Her job was finding water. As soon as she died, no water. Now we've got to do the whole rock thing again. Haven't had to do the rock thing since we started Egypt, since we left Egypt, but now we've got to do it again. We do the, he doesn't do it right. Uh, so Moses goes into the tent, talks to God. God says, go out and speak to the rock. He comes out and really angry, and he says, you rebels, you did this. And it looks like, if you're an Israelite, Moses, we haven't got any water. Let me go check with God. Comes out, starts yelling. What does the Israelite think? God's angry. And God says, I'm not angry with the people. They have a legitimate complaint. They've got no water. Here's the rock. Give them water. And so he says, you didn't honor me in the sight of Israel. So what's the burden of, of leadership? Burden, of, If you're going to represent God, better do it well. Right? Kiddush Hashem, sanctify the name. Do not take my name in vain. I've got a holy name, says the Lord, and if you make it mess it up, whoa. And so we are, what are we on this earth? What does Paul call us? Christ's ambassadors. We're witnesses of Jesus. We have an incredible responsibility, do we not? Not to dishonor God in the sight of others. Yeah, so it's pretty good here he's going to blame them <laughs> okay? but there's a reason why he's doing it he's, he knows the people that are in front of him he knows these people and he's setting up uh, he's even going to tell them later on in Deuteronomy when you get in the land you are going to fail so I'm even going to set up your failure for you I'm going to work it out that when you wander off here is the answer and so he knows them so well and so when he's doing the retelling, he's very careful. I think Moses is very smart. What he's doing, I don't think he's, I don't think he's doing this stum. I don't think he's just forgetting. Oh, was it the Lord? or Was it me? Mm. Now I can't remember. Now I'm so old. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who was that old guy with the beard? Jethro. Was that his name? I can't really remember. Not going to put it. In. I think he's very smart. I think he's. I think he's doing something very, very wise here. Probably smarter than. Most, most commentators are, that I looked at anyway would, would, would give him credit for exactly what it is, I don't really know I just know that he's changing the words around ok ok so, um, it is a good land and uh, that the Lord, our God is giving us ok, so um, what's so good about it?
2: milk
1: and honey ok <laughs> yeah. milk and honey Okay. So it's a real shame for all those lactose intolerant Jews. Tummy <laughs> in. It's Like you're gonna have one heck of a tummy ache for the next sixty years. Okay. okay. God blessed Israel with lots of rock, did he not? Yes. yes. Okay. Had to have something to throw at those giants. Okay. Um, what is not here? Water. Yeah. There's um, um, there's no gold. There's no silver. No right? oil. No oil. And, um, <laughs> Yeah. Um although there is a oh, blessing all... Yeah. So there's lots sorry? Lots of cows?
0: Mm.
1: Well they had lots of cows. they brought lots of cows. Which is another one of all those questions. Why do they need all the manner then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't all the land
3: though imply that it's watered well?
1: Should do, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. so it's it's implied. It's
1: Correct. And we do find in archaeology, we do see that the weather pattern, and we all know this anyway from the rest of the world, the weather patterns in the past were different. And they just were. And uh, so, for example, we find in the Byzantine period, they're growing wheat in the desert. Right? When you go down you see um, uh, monasteries in the middle of nowhere, and you think, what were they doing out here? Well, archaeologically, you'll find that they were growing wheat. So somehow, the the water was a different... Uh, rainfall pattern than it was today. The, uh, they, they were
3: paying more attention to the carbon emission patterns.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. They were, um, they were climate freaks back there, those guys. <laughs> and then they migrated to Sweden. <laughs> no, but they
3: had wells also, like Abraham and Isaac. That's right.
1: They did. They dug
0: wells. Mm-hmm. They
1: dug wells. They knew where to find uh, find water.
0: But the land doesn't had much greater vegetation cover. Yeah. And for example, back in the day, the the Jordan was a jungle. (laughs) It's not much of a jungle now. Mm, No. And and that itself causes, it actually encourages rain. When when you have trees, they give off water vapor, from which then precipitate, you get more in return because of the transpiration from the trees. Uh, So actually, because the, the land was denuded of forests, over the hundreds of years of primarily... Country. Turkish, yeah. yeah. Turkish and others. Well, the, the Turks are particularly responsible for it because of their taxation policies. Um, because they would tax... For trees? Yes. Yeah. If someone that had wanted to own the land, they could have rights on it if they were continually cultivating it. But the taxation that the uh, Ottomans would levy was based on how many trees there were on that land. And so they cut down trees. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a very silly policy. They thought they were smart back then. So the uh, they send out spies. The spies bring back uh, some fruit and a good report. But then they also do give this. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Okay? Rebellion in the Bible is always bad. Okay? There's no... No good rebellion.
2: Not too good now.
1: No, (laughs) even even when Jesus is is told, you know, what do we do with the Roman soldier who wants wants us to carry the pack? What's his answer? Yeah. What do I do when I have to pay the temple tax? It's corrupt, Jesus. Pay it. Yeah. What do I do if they pay for the Roman taxes? Should I pay them? Yeah. Give give whatever. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is something a little different. But in this case. Whenever we see the the rebellion idea, and the word there is uh, Mered, okay, and the, the first guy who leads the first rebellion in the Bible is Nimrod, okay, which means we rebelled. Okay, you're unwilling to go up, you rebelled against the Lord, you grumbled in your tents, and you said, The Lord hates us! So he has brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. What do you think of that sentence?
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, what has
1: God been doing for the last forty years? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Okay. God, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, smacked one of the most powerful nations on the planet, and then fed, watered, fought, guided, spoke, did all kinds of incredible things, Mm -hmm. and yet at the end they go, "No, no, no. He hates us." (laughs)
2: <laughs> They're like, what the
1: How did you come to that conclusion? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, that whole thing with the water, he obviously hates us, okay? You know, we were going to go for a swim, dry land, it's a joke, okay? Um, where, how they came to this conclusion, right? You know, God. if God was so strong that he could smack Egypt, why would he need to have some humans do the killing for him? Well, I, I really want to wipe out these you know, pesky Jews. Think I'll, think I'll bring them to the Amorites. They'll do it for me. I don't know how, that, how they twisted that as their logic. Okay. Uh, where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The sort of idea that the Amorim and some of the uh, Anakim, the giants, were, were somehow... Grouped in this land. Which is interesting.
2: Okay?
1: As opposed to some other land. Okay? The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites, the Anakim there. Okay, so has anyone been to the city of Arad.
0: Yeah, we did the other day. We yeah. went right
1: there the other day. And what did you see when you were there? Lots of signs in Russian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I <don't think> so. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys go to Arad as well? Karen? Yes. So what did you see? We, like,
0: literally we went to see the fountain of Tears. Is that what you oh, okay. <laughs> so you didn't
1: see the actual Tel Arad, the ancient city that's there? No. Okay. All right. So the There's the,
3: great
1: there. The, the it's a, it's a I think an early bronze age. I think they call it that's what they call it in archaeology. Um, so it's it's a city. It's got some israelite ruins as well, but the older stuff is actually bigger. The newer stuff was smaller, mm. which is interesting. So, so the it's an ancient, city, it's an ancient city where the walls mm. are as wide and thick as this room. So they had these massive, tall walls, this huge thing, and every archaeologist, when I was studying archaeology at Hebrew University, asked the question, why did they build a wall this big? What weapon did they have that they were trying to defend against? So you usually build a wall that's, to, that's thick enough to stop the weapon that's gonna come against it. Mm. So as, as we invented gunpowder, the walls got bigger. Okay, when we got swords, the armor got stronger. You know, that was the tit for tat. Okay, so what was, what was it these people trying to defend themselves against? Now, most archaeologists are secular, so they don't answer. They just say, perhaps some weapon we haven't seen. If you believe your Bible, who do you think these people were trying to defend themselves against? Right. It looks like the archaeology actually reflects the story. These guys came in and we said, we saw cities that were huge. The walls were massive, and, and the, they're massive. Why are they are massive? Because that big guy over there is trying to get in. Right? You know, the, the sort of idea that uh, these ancient peoples knew that if we want to defend ourselves, we have to build big, and we have to build high. And, uh, and that you can't hide that in archaeology, because you can knock the wall down, but the foundations are still there that show you how big and tall these things were. OK, so where do these Anakites come from, the Anakim? Where do they come from? I mean, we'll hear that. <laughs> Where? Okay. Tell about it.
2: <laughs>
1: Where, where's your first thought? Greece. Greece. <laughs> They're really big there in Greece. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's a it's a general term given to a ferocious. I maybe not say ferocious. A a strong uh, warrior people.
0: Not necessarily that they're big people. Right. Because they were all... They were all No, they're fallen demons. So, uh, wait a second.
1: The, the, the funny thing about that Genesis bit is it says that there were uh, giants in the land, although it actually doesn't use the word Anakim there. It uses the word Nephilim. Right. And it says before the flood and...
2: After.
1: Yes, and it doesn't tell you how. Like it just, and you're not quite sure how that bit comes. Although in Deuteronomy, in that later on, it's going to say that um, Og is a descendant of the Rephaim. Okay, and, the, and Rephaim in Hebrew means ghosts. Okay, um, that's why you have a valley in Jerusalem called Emek. Rephaim, Valley of the Ghosts. So there's... Yes, so there's, it's holding on to some sort of hint or a remes that that valley area, which was on the patriarchal highway, which is what Der Hebron is, had some connection to the Rephaim. I'm uh, not quite sure what that is, uh, or why Og is a descendant thereof, or where they come from. However, Anak in Hebrew means giant one. Okay? So there's somehow a race of very tall people. And, uh, and it terrifies these, these, uh, these spies. Well, some of them anyway. Not others. Okay? It, it definitely terrifies uh, some. And it says, we can't go there because we even saw Anakin. Okay? We saw these big cities, we saw these massive walls, uh, which we actually see in archaeology today, and we've seen these, these giant ones. Now, we have no clue exactly how they, they get there, where they come from. Uh, other biblical sources, that is, books not in our Bible, uh, mention the uh, the Nephilim. It mentions their names and it talks about what they did, what they didn't do, in books like Jubilees and Enoch, and uh, and in um, in the Talmud, it even mentions that uh, Og was one of them. That they all didn't actually die out from the from the flood. Some of them survived. Okay. Um, that's how they Jew, early Jewish commentaries try and get around it. Okay. Now you might not agree with them, that's fine. That's how they try. Okay, they go. We, they're stuck with what they do, so they create this story. So next time when we get to the actual chapter that deals with Og, I'll read a section of uh, of De uh, Rabbi and you'll go, "Wow, man, those guys were on drugs when they wrote this." <laughs> but it's very interesting how they try and dance around this issue. Okay.
2: Is it the
1: connection between Gog and Magog? Is the, the link there at this stage? Uh, no, Gog and Magog are, are, are princes, they're not giants. This is in the eschatological war mentioned in uh, Ezekiel. And at this which, stage there's no, no link? Okay. No, 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 no. And then I said to you, do not be terrified. This is Moses now saying to these, uh, the, the, these Israelites that had sent in their spies. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God, okay? Elohe, uh, Adonai Elohe, your, your God, who is going before you will fight for you, mm-hmm. as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes. Isn't that interesting? You've seen this stuff before, yes. and yet you can't trust him yeah. to do it again. We do the same.
2: Oh,
1: it's not just me. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yes. it's not just you. Stand behind me, brother. because we, we all do. We all, yeah. you know, think, Why, how am I going to afford this year, you know? Did I not afford it last year? Where was God last year? Why, why am I doubting him this year? It's quite amazing how we do it to ourselves. It's usually the future. The thing I can't see. The faith I have to have with the unseen thing in front of me. There's
2: one thing about this. They were human, these people. And they had the weaknesses of all of us. It's a classic yeah. example. Oh, yes. The, these, me, these these, the
1: good thing about these giants is they could die just like us. Mm. But
2: we have all the weaknesses that these people have. Oh, yes, these ones here. And it's just nice that (laughs) they're
1: they're
2: human just like us.
1: Indeed. So in terms of his encouraging the people at the time, which doesn't work, of course, uh, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way uh, that you went until you reached this place. And so... Um, this is you know, Moses trying to, to, to encourage the people with all, the, everything he's saying is true God has done amazing things for you and yet sometimes we don't listen to the, to the messenger or the preacher or, or the evangelist right? in spite of this you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day To search out places for you to camp and to show you where you should go. Now, isn't that interesting? So even when the people disobey the Lord, what happens to the fire? The state. Now, isn't that interesting? Right. No matter how disobedient these people were, what's so good about God? He's he doesn't give up. he doesn't give up on that he doesn't give up so even though it's like you, you should go in there and fight them say no, I don't want to do it." like well, you know what I'm still going to lead you I'm still going to care for you I'm still going to make sure that you're happy that you that you've got a place to to, to to stay
0: There was the occasion when the Lord said um, okay." Make me a place outside of the camp because I can't I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. And or no, the Lord said, look, I'll send an angel with you to take you through the wilderness. And Moses said, you mean you're not coming with us? Yeah. I'm not moving unless you stay with us. I'm not moving. moving. Yeah. And then the Lord responded to Moses because that's a very powerful argument because of the way that Moses presents it. He said, and in particular one place he says, um, you know, the nations will say that. You, the Lord, you could bring the people out of, but you, you, couldn't,
1: could, bring but you couldn't bring them in. You
0: couldn't bring them into the fullness of the mm. promised land, and right. um, so therefore, that's why Moses says you can't destroy this people. Yeah. Because the nations will say you could not. You could bring them out, but you couldn't bring them in. Yeah. Which is such an affront to God's capability. Yeah. Even when there are rebellious bunch of people, yeah. you know, God will achieve the end that He's always had in mind, no matter how crazy and Problematic, his people are. Yep. And I, I include us in that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Because
1: uh, in verse 34, when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and he solemnly swore, Not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, son of uh, Yefuneh. Uh, he will see it, and I will give him his descendants the land uh, he set his feet on, because he has followed. Hit the Lord wholeheartedly. Okay, um, and this this phrase with uh, kolbelev is going to be a phrase that shows up a lot in Deuteronomy. One of the things we're going to find Moses talk about in Deuteronomy is the heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've had four books talking about sacrifices, talking about rules, talking about all this kind of thumb, and yet when it's and and circumcise circumcision. Yeah, what does Moses want to circumcise? The your heart. heart. He, where does he want you to write the Torah? Mm-hmm. On your heart. Okay, why? Because he obviously can't mm-hmm. keep it anyway. But I really want it here. I really want it here. And how uh, does he
0: want to still love
1: you? With all, all our of yeah. our hearts, yeah. yes. And, uh, and, and so here, and he begins, this is one of his first times where he begins to say, you know, um, this, because, look, Caleb's going to be out of sea because he's walked with me with his <coughs> whole heart, which is what I really want. Mm. Okay, you know, this is, this is the type of future I want for you. The things that Moses is deliberately going to say and deliberately leave out. Okay, is This I want. It's going it's to be always about the heart. Because you, the Lord, became angry with me also. Because of you, sorry. Mm-hmm. The Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either. But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, he'll enter it. Right? Completely missing... Uh, a large section of the story, <laughs> okay, right? He's remembering what Moses is leaving out, why he's leaving in here. Is that because of you? Well, yes. There's a bit of you in there too, Moses. But uh, here, okay. But your assistant will go because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that said you could, that would be ta- you said would be taken captive, your children who do not know yet good from bad, they will enter the... Now, that is an interesting thought. Right, because there is obviously there's a a strong tradition even today in Judaism that uh, the there is just the accountability of knowing right from wrong in little ones isn't there yet. Although in Christian tradition we we call everything original sin. You're just wrong from the minute you were conceived. Okay, Uh, those are actually two different things.
3: You don't have to. children have a lie. <laughs> no. Correct. Yeah. No. Okay. yeah. So, so Judaism, Judaism,
1: Judaism does have uh, an, an inherent sin. It's called the uh, evil inclination, or the ra. Okay? It is there. Okay? In, in, in Christian tradition, we talk about it a lot. In Jewish tradition, they tend to say, they don't talk about it as much, but it is there. What they will say is that everyone has it. But it doesn't really start showing up until you're a little bit older. Uh, For every one hundred decisions we have to make, thirty will be good and the other seventy will be pretty bad. But you can still do good stuff, which is the reason why in Jewish tradition there's always a choice. Right? Choose life, will say Moses as opposed to, no, you're inherently bad, you can't do a single thing, Mm. right? So there's the original sin, which is one concept, it has to be dealt with. Mm. There's also this other part of being able to choose good from evil. Okay? They will be able to come in, and they will take the land of possession. But as for you, turn around, set out towards the desert, and go back to the Red Sea. And, uh, and then we start uh, the wandering but we'll leave it uh, there because the next section which we haven't got time to deal with introduces an interesting concept what do the people actually do moses has given them a beration berated them and they actually go oh yep ouch we shall we're sorry and then they go and attack the amorites which is exactly what God wanted them to do, except they get defeated because they didn't obey the first time. So we'll talk about that bit. Even when we repent, there's still a consequence to an action. Mm. Right?
0: So nothing's changed.
1: Because they are about to do exactly what God told them to do, yet their next incursion is actually a fail. And so it creates an interesting little thing to comment about. That, okay, you can disobey God, can repent and then you can disobey God again.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings
3: from the City of the King.